Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. They're already offended. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. So if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Just two in the back right here as well, guys. Um, We'll get one to you. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I think we can do a little better than that. There's like three of you. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. There you go. So, hey, uh, we started this series last week. We've been in, uh, usually we preach through books of the Bible, and during certain seasons of the year, we will uh, take a break from that. We've been in the Gospel of John for nearly a year. I slipped up and said the Gospel of Mark in first service because we were in the Gospel of Mark for like two years. And uh, so, uh, anyways, we're, we're taking a break from that. We've got a few more weeks. We'll start that after the first of the year. It's going to be a, a, a great season for that. But we paused. We hit the pause button to uh, relaunch this series we did last year called The Church. And so uh, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12. And so uh, you can meet me there and say amen when you're there. And if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right, turn left, and you'll find it faster. Romans chapter 12. Last week, Pastor Tyler talked about the gathering of the church, and that's really what defines the church. The, the word church is not the building, and it, it's not a service. The church is the gathering of the people of God. In the Greek, it's this word, the ekklesia, and so it literally means the gathering when the people come together, and so he talked about the gathering of the church. This morning, I want to talk in, in so many ways about the gifts to the church. As we gather together, we're able to see uh, the gifts that God has given through the people of God to the church and, and through, um, through the church. And so uh, I'm going to kind of uh, start and use uh, Romans 12 as a basis for that. And so Romans 12, chapter 1, you can say amen when you're there. I'll wait for the rest of you. Amen. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Uh, I learned this, uh, if you were a Bible baby or a Feltmore kid, this is a, uh, some of the verses you learned. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. How many King James babies were in here? No, that was the first service. They were here earlier. Uh, right. Uh, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern 
of this world. Someone say, oh no. Do not be conformed. Do not run with. Do not look like. Be different from. Be alienated from. Stand out. Be peculiar. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Someone say amen to that. If you thought I didn't fit, I, don't, I stand out. That's good news. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's this moment right here. I'm going to try to speak to your mind and hopefully that your mind will have a conversation with your will. Sometimes you need to have a conversation with you. Amen? This, uh, what about you people? <laughs> right? You're like, I don't talk to myself. Oh, yes, you do. Right? It's okay to talk to yourself. It's even okay to answer yourself as long as you don't say, huh. Right? Anyways, you, the, um, dad joke. Uh, he says, by the renewing of your mind. It starts there. Your, your beliefs drive your behavior. This starts with a conversation of your mind. Every single week, we're going to open the scriptures talk to your mind and try to help you see that the world wants you to go one way. The pattern is easy to fall into, go stride for stride. But this is about you realizing the renewing comes from this word repentance and to kind of take some stigma off of the word repentance. Maybe you heard someone stand on a soapbox and say, turn or burn, baby. But this word repentance means to change the way you think so that you do something different. This moment is about changing the way you think so that you don't run stride for stride with the patterns of this world that so easily entangles me. I begin to look like, but I need to be transformed. Someone say amen if you're with me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. This is that moment where you decide what's right and wrong. What's my way versus God's way. And these moments are the ways that it challenges the way you think. You go in and go, man, I didn't, I didn't really like that. Kind of, that kind of challenge. That kind of rubbed me the wrong way. That was recalibrating for me. That's good news. Amen? We can do better than that. That's good news. Amen? Amen. If, if I only give you what is palatable, if I only give you what continues to confirm your previous biases that you're already in stride for stride with the world, I would not be doing what God has called me to do, which is help challenge your mind. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That you may test and see what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. This isn't three wills. These are three adjectives to begin to describe the will of God. The will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable. And the will of God is perfect perfect. Then he goes on to say, for by grace given to me, grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. It means you can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't trade for it, you can't negotiate for it. It is a gift that you do not deserve. The man writing this murdered Christians and then became a martyr and a messenger for the church, wrote 16 books of the Bible. And when he says this to them, because he's going to say something difficult, he says, this is by grace. I don't deserve this position. This isn't because of who I am or what I've done. You know my story, but by grace, I'm going to communicate to you this. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. Somebody say, oh no, to that. 
right? That you ought not think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but to think with sober judgment, to be self-aware, to know thyself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It means different people have different measures of that, and people get that sooner than later. Some people's faith is further along, and we all look different and in different places in this race that we are running, and that's okay, and that's good news. And if you're just starting this race, welcome. We're here to guide and walk with you and walk alongside you. And this isn't about us passing each other up, because eventually I'm going to trip stuff and fall and I'm going to need you to help me up. Someone say amen to that. Somebody, can someone say amen to helping? Oh, okay. Uh, right. Yeah. See if I talk to you in the lobby. Anyways. Uh, he, he says that each person has a faith assigned to them for as in one body, we are many members and many members do not have the same function. This is good news. We're not all the same. Amen. We're not all the same. We look different. We have different functions. We have different skills, different abilities, yet we form together one body. We are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body, and individual members one of another. Meaning you don't get to just live in your individuality, but your individuality and your, your diversity and your different skills are placed together alongside others to fit in working together, knit together, uh, being one body. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You're gifted because he is gracious and he gives this to you. So let us use them someone say amen if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving if the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads lead with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness Here's the gifts. Here's some of the gifts that the Bible begins to talk about, some of the functions of the body. Then he gives what will ultimately, the motivation behind it, the target behind it, as you function in your, your unique individual gifts. He says, behind all of that is this one thing, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You got a competitive spirit about you? Right? If you're not first, you're last, Ricky Bobby, right? Like, if you want to be a head and shoulders above all, then outdo one another in showing honor. This is contrary to the patterns of this world, wouldn't you say? Showing honor to lift up to point out, to encourage, to respect. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient, as I read this text, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Look at somebody, you should be praying. Think things are difficult? You're in a trial? Your difficulty, be patient, but be constant in prayer. Be active as you wait. Be patient and be active 
in your patience. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Let's say that again. Bless and do not curse them. Somebody say amen to that. More than three people say amen to that. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight because you don't know everything. Amen? I know that was hard to say, but you'll get there. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... If possible, somebody say, if possible, I'm going to go out of my way. If possible, I'm going to do everything I can. If possible, so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that we would see how we fit together, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you call us and join us together. Let us speak the truth in love that we'll all grow up, and the body will will grow itself in love, every joint supplying the other. We all need one another, and we are not individuals under ourselves, but we are one body, many members. The uniqueness of one part of the body is not absent from the totality of one's whole body. So help us see one another. Honor one another. Let us see what you've called us to be as the ecclesia, the gathering of the church. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. This particular passage uh, is something to, to, to think through. And I, I thought as we talked about the topics of the gifts to the church last week, Pastor Tyler talking about the gathering of the church and then thought about like inside of the gathering, we want to see each other that God has placed different, unique groups of people together to uh, be a gift to one another. And that's good news. And then he goes on to talk about all these different types of of gifts, and he begins to talk about uh, uh, kind of out front gifts and, and gifts that are behind the scenes. But he begins to describe that we're ultimately one body, and even the uniqueness of individual parts are not separated, isolated from, uh, not amputated from the rest of the body. And and so I thought, man, as as I could think about preaching a sermon where we could talk about the gifts of the church, I, I thought I needed to give us kind of the, the caveat or, or, or really uh, the thing that undergirds this idea of the gifts. Because I could get up here and I, I could say, hey, if you're kind of like this personality and you speak to the will and you prophesy and encourage or you exhort, you say, man, I'm really generous or, or, or God's really given me a gift of mercy. And we'll talk a, a little bit about those things. But I, I wonder maybe some of us would hear those things go, yeah, that's me. That's great. I'm a gift 
to the church, you know? And, and I, I didn't think we should, we should read that in isolation, but we should understand what, what Paul is telling us if we're ever going to be able to adequately and, and powerfully use our gifts. We have to start with what he says in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore... I appear, I, I plead with you. Why? Because of everything I just said. Now, m- maybe you're familiar with the book of Romans and maybe you're not. I can tell you as a pastoral staff and a teaching team right now, we're working on a very simple commentary uh, that we're uh, hoping to publish uh, that we can help. Maybe you're new. We, we, we went through the book of Romans for uh, over a year as a church. And so it'll be many years maybe before we tackle that again. And so as people come, uh, we believe Romans is such an important book and it helps us us understand the Gospels, and it kind of is one of the most pivotal books in all of the New Testament. Uh, Some would consider it Paul's dissertation of his theology, and and ultimately what I believe is the book of Romans, you have to get this one right, and it's a difficult one to understand, and it has to be seen in its totality, and so uh, we're endeavoring to put together some type of of commentary that helps you come along, that you can pick up a small pamphlet or or something that you could go through and it help you to understand the book of Romans because ultimately he's going to say he's going to write to a group of people a gathering like this and he's going to say hey you're going to come together and as Pastor Tyler talked about last week when people come together it can be difficult amen let's try that again uh it can be difficult amen you know why because you're difficult amen Right? Let's just be honest. As many as we try not to be difficult, as we try to endeavor to go along with the flow, when, when we feel as though there's injustice towards us or our comforts are being removed from us, we can become difficult. It's part of our human nature to regard ourselves as something to be cherished, something to support, to take care of, and and honor above anything else, right? You, you tend to, to, to think about yourself a lot, amen? You think about yourself. Say amen or I'm going to judge you in a second because I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. And here's what Jesus says. He says this great command, remember that one? He says, love your neighbor as your because he already knows you do love yourself. You have a propensity to love yourself. You have a propensity to think about yourself. So he gives us this, this uh, dichotomy, and he begins to show us that ultimately what's good for yourself is beginning to love others av- as yourself because you know the, 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 the opposite is true, right? When you live a life that's all about yourself, you end up with a life w- with just your self. You'll wake up one day and you've, you've made everything about you and you'll end up with just you and wonder where everyone else went. And it'll be you, yourself, and I. We know this to be true. People who begin to think about themselves, they consider themselves, they become lonely people and wonder why, why are they alone, but they begin to love others as their self, they'll realize that it's actually the best thing they could possibly do for themselves. Amen? 
That's good preaching. Thank you. Amen. Uh, and, and so uh, he, he, he starts this whole entire kind of line of reasoning, helping us to understand ourselves so that we can be a part of this body made up of a lot of people individually, them bringing themselves to the gathering. And ultimately, if they're going to be fit together and use their gifts, they have to understand ultimately why they're there, how they got there, and the grace that was given to them. And so he starts by saying this, I appeal to you, I plead to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a, this is a paradox. This, this word in the Greek for sacrifice literally means killing. And so what Paul says is you must live a, a, a life of a living killing. This doesn't quite make Sense. And yet the people reading this would have had some type of cultural understanding of sacrifice. When he opens this and, and he's saying this, therefore, and he's talking about all the other things he said, chapters 1 through 11, he says this, therefore, here's how you can do this. Here's why you should live a life sacrificially. This should be your reasonable act of worship. If you want to move beyond lip service, you want to move beyond songs, you want to, you want to move into actual worship, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to kill the thing that makes you want to go your way instead of going God's way. And they would have heard this word sacrifice, and yet they would have come from this culture of, of constant animal sacrifice. I mean, God had set up this, this, uh, this system of, of religious rituals around this offering of animal sacrifice in the temple. And it was always meant to be a shadow of things to come. And yet what it was doing was telling us what we know to be true universally is that something has to die in order for there to be life. And for all you vegans who don't like that idea, right? There was a lot of genocide to make your soybean burger. I'm just going to tell you that right now, okay? Uh, and so if you didn't like that, when you, you, can, you can disagree with me when you're eating your hummus and tortilla chips. But let me tell you that even when it comes to uh, the vegans, something had to die. Every meal, every time you walk down the grocery aisle, something gave its life so that you could live a shadow. The universe preaching a sermon to us, and yet that's the whole story of the Bible, that ultimately Christ would come, and this foreshadowing of the temple sacrifice, that something had to die in order for us to have Life, And maybe you object to that. You know, that's barbaric or that's outdated. That's medieval. The universe is telling us that. And we know that intrinsically to be true. In order for there to be life physically, something has to die. So why would it not be true also spiritually? And so when people argue, they say, why would Christ have to die? In a very simplistic way to answer that, to that objection, if you were to say, why did Christ have to die? I would tell you because there's things in me that needed to die. How about you? 
Am I alone today, church? Are there any saints of God who realize that the old you was killing the new you, so you had to put it to death? As Paul says, I am crucified with Christ daily, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know this to be true, that there are people who, who although have things going well for them, will, will discover destructive habits, things that ultimately they think are going to give them life, but ultimately are slowly killing them. Maybe that's been your story or someone you know develops addictive, has addictive personality, moves towards substance abuse, who, who, who constantly lies and steals and takes and moves towards their own way, thinking that somehow it will fulfill them and bring life, and yet it is actually bringing death. And in order for them to live, they have to kill that. So the story of the Bible is that Jesus would come and that he would die in our place. He would put to death the old us that we may join him in his death, that we may join him in his life. As he says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. The old you has passed away or been rendered powerless. And behold, you are a new Creation. If anyone's been following Jesus for any period of time, they would tell you that's exactly what they experienced. As they grow with Jesus, they go, man, you don't remember the old me. And, and like fruit on a tree, it wasn't there the day before. You don't know how it grew, grew. And you didn't see all the elements of how it grew. You just realized that something was different. Something was there. Something was produced. And the Bible says, if I'm in you and you in me, then you will produce much Fruit, And that's what it's like to be in Christ, this new thing, this new life. And ultimately, the, the issue that, that, that Paul begins to bring up, chapters 1 through 11, is he begins to show us ultimately how those things in us need to be put to death. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're the bad guy in somebody else's story. Man, the things that you're frustrated with the world around you, if you were honest with yourself, when you look in the mirror, can be the very same things that you find in you. Man, someone has prayed, deliver me from Sam Kaiser. Don't look at my wife, that would be rude at this particular Someone has said, man, uh, something has to be done about this. See, that's what chapter 1 actually is. The chapter 1 of Romans says there are some people and, and, and they ought not do, that's where I'm from, the, uh, they, they ought not do that, all right? right? I don't know if, uh, that just isn't right, okay? Uh, how would you like me uh, to say it? But if you've ever looked at somebody and said they ought not do that, don't look at them right now, right? That's rude. Right? Uh, you'd say they, that should not be so. Come on. Have you ever looked at uh, the world around you and thought there's some things that just aren't right? Someone say amen to that. And what you hope is that someone will come and fix that. Romans 1 says there's some people who've actually gone astray. They've traded the truth of God for a lie. They've made their own standard. They would, not re they would rather worship created things rather than the creator God who's worthy to be praised. They would rather worship themselves or others. And ultimately, this leads them astray and in unrighteousness, the Bible says, or things that just ain't right, all right? 
And then chapter 2 says this, there's some people that they think they are right in and of themselves. You ever met those people who think they're right about everything, right? You've met some of those people before, right? And and many of us would think about uh, religions of the world or maybe a church we grew up in and the cultural, spiritual climate of the day. There were religious people who thought that their good deeds and their good efforts and them attending this and going to that and making sure they were the moral majority, that they were head and shoulders about above everyone else and they were right on their own, right in and of themselves. And yet chapter two would say that's called self-righteousness and self-righteousness is actually unrighteousness. And by the time you get to chapter three, it says this, that there is no one good, no, not one. It actually says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe a familiar passage You've heard, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you remember a couple weeks ago I did the, the illustration with the, the awkward illustration with the ruler I called a ganipganop? How many of you remember that? Three of you, great, glad you're back. Uh, and, and, and yet the idea is that there's this standard and yet we fall short of this standard. What is this standard? The glory of God. What do you mean by glory of God? God is everything that you could possibly dream and imagine that is beautiful and good and lovely and praiseworthy and perfection. He is the totality of all that could be dreamed of. And yet, if you've ever found yourself in a place where you acted a little ugly, right? You say, well, I didn't cuss them out, you know, right? I didn't say that, right? And in the South, as long as you say bless their heart at the end of something, you can say whatever you want, right? And, and, and yet, the reality is, is that no one can handle glory. See, when, when you see something beautiful and good, you want to look at it. You want to stare at it. You want to follow it around. See, this is the problem with fame and celebrity, is no one can handle the weight of glory. What we think is beautiful and you follow and you look for and what you'll find is under the surface. You'll find things that are unbecoming, uncom. You'll find things that just ain't right. And would you want someone to follow you and look at you? If you, if you were to follow me around for 15 minutes, I'm liable to frustrate you. And you're like, you've been up there longer than that by now, right? Like, would you want someone to know every detail, to look at every aspect of your life? And this is why people crumble under the weight of fame because no one can handle that kind of attention and that kind of glory. No one will be able to withstand it. There is only one worthy. That's why Philippians says that that although being in the form of God and not Jesus did not count equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself, limited himself, lived a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. See, we're unable to live this standard, so God became a man and lived the standard for us. He lived a selfless, perfect life, the standard we could not keep, the life that we would long to live but could not, living all the things that we think are right in contrast to all the things that we think just should not be 
so. He lives a righteous life in contrast to our unrighteousness. And Romans 3 says there's no one good, no, not one. But now there's a righteousness from God. Apart from you trying to get yourself together, apart from you trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, apart from you trying to go, you know, I'm really, really trying to get back in church. I'm try- really trying to get it together. More so than you trying to follow the oughts and the ought nots, it is a It is through faith in Jesus alone that he lived and died in your place and now offers his life in exchange for yours. And that is good news, friends. Someone say amen to that. Romans 3 from verse 23 on goes on to tell us that Jesus was put forth as this densely theological word called propitiation which means a fulfillment of the wrath of God and maybe quickly you go man here we go I don't want to hear about that I I don't believe in a wrathful God listen friend you are far more wrathful than God you're far more wrathful than God you know how I know you ever been to a four year old's birthday party you've seen this right Right? It, it, have you ever seen this saying, this is, this is not a custom where I'm from, but raising kids in California, man, well, you got to have a pinata, friend. You've seen this, and you get, you get this uh, action figure, you get the thing you beloved, you love, you're, you're going to get him the thing he wants. I want a Spider-Man. I want, I want a Captain America pinata. And then you take a bat and you beat the crap out of it, really? <laughs> And, 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 and that's not the wrathful part, right? It's not the kids hitting them back. They're just following your, your lead, friend. And you handed them a bat, right? And it's not that moment. It's the moment that none of them could break it. And old dad steps up like he just got drafted by the Braves. And he's going to let everybody know <laughs> just how manly he is. And there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. What did you do to Captain America, <laughs> right? Like, and this, his candy spill out. You, you've seen this. You are wrathful, friends. Okay? Drive slow in the fast lane and just see what kind of road rage that your pastor has for you, friends. I'm like honking the horn. My wife's like, hey, they might go to the church. I was like, they should know better. Right? <laughs> But if they don't, don't be driving like that with the crossroads icon on your back. I'm gonna pull you over and have a little pastoral discipline. Like you're like, I gotta pull over. Pastor's waving me down, right? Like, hey, cut it, cut it out. You are wrathful if you see injustice. If you if you think someone should get what they deserve, but friends, the things you're frustrated with on the outside, if you were honest, are the very thing, same things on the inside. And in order to save you from his wrath because if he's going to fix everything he has to also fix you and so he traded places with you and he takes on your sin and the bible says that jesus in romans says that he condemned sin in the flesh he put jesus forth as a propitiation a fulfillment of the wrath or justice of god See, justice means to set everything just right. All the things you you think ought not be and just ain't right, the justice of God is to set everything just right and to ultimately set you just right. 
And it goes on to say that you might see him as the just judge. See, if you're going to call a judge just, the punishment must fit the crime. Someone who lets him off, who commits atrocities, gets six-month probation and community service. You go, that's not just, bro. And yet, in order to be just, he puts forth Jesus as a propitiation, a payment that you may see God as just and the one who justifies, that he may be the just judge and the merciful jury. So forever in time and space, at the cross of Jesus Christ, Romans 3 begins to show me that at the cross of Jesus Christ, forever suspended is the love and justice of God. If you say, show me the love of God, I'll show you the cross. You say, show me the justice and goodness of God. I'll show you the cross of Jesus Christ, that God so loved us that he did not spare his own son, but he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of Christ, that we might be right with God. This is what the opening book of Romans says. It begins to describe to you that there are groups of people who think that they're right on their own and they're not. And there are other people who blatantly went against God and they're not right either. And both need the loving, saving grace of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about equity? You want to talk about equality? We all stand condemned yet forgiven by the grace of God at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the place where all men and women will find their equality in the saving grace of the love of Jesus Christ. Someone should say amen to that. He goes on to tell this story. Romans begins to, he gives you the big picture and then he goes into the details in chapters four, five, six, and even through chapters 11, he begins to tell the story about choosing Israel choosing one family in order to bless all families. But when you're chosen by God, man, you got to see what God is doing. He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. He takes Israel and gives them prominence, but shows that even in our blessing, even in our prosperity, even when things are going good, we have a tendency to go bad, wouldn't you say? See, that's what the story's about, that all have rejected. Then the Gospels will show us that That even when he chose them and called them, they still rejected that it might be fulfilled. That it says he came to his own and his own didn't receive him not. The stone that the builders rejected have become the chief corner stone. That God may not spare his own son, that he may make children from all Nations. He would choose one and use this family, this, this lowly family to become a nation of lowly people that he may become the lowest of the low, that he may serve. The king becomes a slave and trades places. No other leader in human history would give up their prominence. No other leader in human history. The manager doesn't go and clean toilets. It's just not so. You move up the ladder so that you can have prominence and glory and comfort. And the king of the universe steps off his throne, removes himself from all of that, and serves and uses this one family to put it on display. Why? So that he could adopt us as children. That's where we get to this famous passage in chapter 8 that that God 
used his only son, that he may pay the price. And now ultimately he could adopt us as children, that we would call him Daddy God, Abba Father. And now we become joint heirs with Christ. And so it doesn't matter where you come from, what, what blood is flowing through your veins, it doesn't matter your heritage, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't, it doesn't matter your, uh, your ethnicity. All that matters is that you are found forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, God has how many sons? I'm giving you a hint. How many sons? You know this to be true from the verse that Tim Tebow wrote, remember? John... Man, we're too far removed from that. Uh, I gotta stop using that joke. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How many sons does God have? So who are you to question him when he decides to adopt children and treat his adopted children like he does his one and only son? By chapter nine, you get to this place where he says, I get to love who I want to love and you don't get to ask me questions. I get to love and save because there are some people that you would not save. Don't look at them. They're sort of like, what are they doing at this church, right? You don't get to ask him questions, amen? You're like, why is he the pastor? You don't get to ask him questions, right? He says, I get to love who I want to love. I'll have compassion on who I have compassion and I've engrafted, and I've taken all of these people who are scattered and different, all of these people who look fundamentally different, and I'll bring them all together, and I'll rally them around this one thing, that they are given unmerited, undeserved grace, that they are forgiven and placed into a family, and they have one father, and this is good news because we're all in the, 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 the same playing field, because ultimately we, we are all sinners saved by grace. Paul says this to Titus. He says, I'm convinced and the statement is true that God came into the world to save sinners. And that's good news for your pastor. How about you? And so he gets to chapter 12 and he says, I appeal to you. Therefore, what does he mean by that? All the things that I just told you clear as mud, right? No one laughed at that because I, I, I think I did a pretty good job with that actually. Uh, like, actually, that made a lot of sense. It was pretty clear. I don't know what you're talking about, right? He says, therefore, because you've been saved, because you're not good on your own, because Christ has died in your place, I appeal to you, I plead with you, offer your body as a living killing of yourself in order that you may truly find yourself in him. As Jesus says, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? He says, if anyone would lose his life for my sake, would truly find their life. It's like the thing you know that you thought you wanted, and then when you got what you wanted, you're like, why did you guys let me get what I wanted, right? Didn't work out. So I appeal to you, Live in such a way that constantly is killing your sense of self. Yet the world is telling you that the self is what you should be all about. See, this is the pattern of the world. This is the pattern of the world. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this. I started thinking about that. I went, what is the pattern that we all have? What is the thing we all have in common? And the reality is that no matter where you come from 
or where you live, we all have a throne. Friends, just gonna. What? What's? Well, oh, oh, uh, we, you, we all have a throne. But what's under that throne? I'm just gonna let your. Uh, Let's be honest. We, we, we all have this sense of self and we all prop ourselves up. Let's, let's end of the day. End of the day. What, what really is? And see, the, the world lies to us and they said, this is about you. Put yourself on a, a throne and, and make this about you. See, the world says, says, this is about you. Do you. This is about your truth. And listen, friends, your truth does not matter unless it's actually true. And yet what we've done is we've, we've, we've put a mask on and we've promoted ourselves and see if we're ever going to get to a place where we can actually see others and, and see them for their giftedness. And, and you could take that off now. It's a little distracting for everyone. <laughs> and if we're ever going to get to a place to actually see other people's gifts, then what we have to realize is the fallacy of thinking that we are the gods of our own universe, kings who sits on thrones, and somehow our gifts are elevated above other gifts. And Paul, this murderer turned martyr, says, for by the grace given to me, you know what that grace was? Is that at once he persecuted the church, once he killed Christians, and yet out of God's grace, he said, I'm going to show you something crazy. I'm going to convert the worst, the one you're afraid of, one of the worst people. I'm going to use him and put him on display and show him just how much he'll suffer for my sake. So when he writes this, he says, my whole life is a sacrifice, a living Killing, And I say this out of grace. And I say it because I'm not someone or my position. You know my story. You know where I'm at. You, you, you know what's going on. So by grace, I'm saying this unmerited, undeserved. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And how could you in light of everything that he's already said? How could you when you knew you weren't good? You knew that something needed to change in you. And it was by grace you have been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 9 says, and this is not your own doing. Least anyone should boast. For you are God's workmanship. You've been handcrafted, pieced together. This is about you, but we have a tendency, let's be honest, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. See, I think culturally this is something that we have to examine. I think this is something we've been dealing with. I, I, I think uh, our culture needs to reassess what we think about pride and what we think about humility. The idea that our way is better. See, pride puffs up, arrogance puffs up, but we have this kind of cultural masking of what we think actual pride and humility are. What arrogance looks like, we know, and what humility looks like, we know, but do we really See, what we're convinced of, and if the last presidential election should tell us that pride comes in a lot of different forms, someone say amen to that. It doesn't matter if you're loud and boisterous or quiet and soft-spoken. The idea that your way is better and that you can do it 
better. See, that's the start. But be sober in your thinking. See, what happens is we mask this. We put on a persona, social media and filters and, and all the things that we put for us. It's, it's why the, the idea of, of persona is synonymous with the word mask. That's why in these, these uh, ancient cultures, you would see them in, in, in medieval times when they go to a banquet or a play, oftentimes they would have these masks. And so they would put those on and go to the, the play and it would be a persona for them, a mask that they are wearing. And so what he's saying is, no, take off the mask. Be sober. Be unfiltered in your judgment of yourself. Do not be intoxicated with the filters and the facade, looking at screens and looking at images on cave walls in our living rooms, thinking that the in images on the screens are real. And yet what's real are the people sitting right next to you. They're really there. Nudge them, pinch them or something, but watch out. What happens, you don't know who you're pinching. <laughs> and yet, have you seen this? Our culture, what's going on in our culture? You, I know we haven't all been in restaurants in some time. Some of us never stopped, but anyways. And, uh, and, and you've seen this when people go into restaurants and, and they'll actually be two real people sitting next to each other on a real device talking to people who aren't really there. <laughs> You seen this? They will, they will miss interactions with the real, talking to people they were really with the night before and the people they were with the night before they were talking to the people they were with the night. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this, right? And yet the facade, the filter, because what we can do is mask and propagate the image of ourselves that we want for others. And see, the gathering is about understanding ourselves and being sober about ourselves that we may really see one another, that our love might be genuine. And then we might be able to honor one another in their giftedness. But it starts with understanding who we are. And yet oftentimes we think highly of ourselves. And this comes in a lot of different forms and personalities, right? Arrogance and pride can take a lot of different forms. See, oftentimes, and I know what it's like being on a stay, we quickly go the person who's loud and boisterous. Man, that's the arrogant one. The one who's serving in the background, the one, who, the one who's, who's, who's slaving over the food and feeding everyone. But you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you've seen this in, in churches, right? Uh, we look at uh, the, the lady who's making all the food for the potluck, and she's in there, and we go, man, she's just, she's just a humble lady just making the food for everyone. But have you ever stepped into her kitchen and tried to change something? She's going to say, I'm going to tell you how you should do this, honey, <laughs> right? You don't know. Bless her heart. Listen to me, okay? Right? This goes there, right? Like, like prior and arrogance can come in a lot of ways when you say, I can do it better. Huh. This story is going to be harder to tell because my wife's in this service and she wasn't in the last one. And uh, I remember when we got married, we were in this, uh, this small apartment and pretty small, but it, it did have a, a laundry room uh, for this small apartment. And the laundry room was literally about the size of this speaking platform and washer and dryer and and uh, we'd been married for maybe three or four months, and, and I got up to uh, change a, a light bulb in, in the, in the I was up on the washer and dryer because I'm clearly vertically challenged. And, uh, and so I was like reaching up and trying to change this, this light bulb. It was like the glass bulb, the old school, you know, everything's LED and plastic now. And that's for people like me. 
And, uh, and so I had this glass bulb and I was taking the, the, the kind of cover off of it and, and I just fumble it. And, and the entire time my wife's just standing there, you know, judging me, right? And just arms folded, shaking her head. And, and, and then I, I just fumble the glass and chatter all over the floor. And my loving, gracious wife looked up to me and said, you should have let me do it. Yeah. Ah. Like, yeah, Sam's on stage. There's the humble one with the kids. Whatever, bro. Okay. <laughs> right? Man, it comes, and here's what some of it, some of it is, is, is we can find ourselves, and this is the whole story, that we just look at everything around us and we just have this sense of, I could do it better. And, and in the regard, sometimes it's true. I mean, she, she was raised to just fix stuff and I, I wasn't. And I was trying to, you know, live, you know, live into my masculinity. Change, I'm going to change this light bulb, right? And uh, over the years, we realized uh, if the trampoline is going to get put together. She's going to do it, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and yet, what we have to be careful to, to begin to see what other people can do is we have to understand with sober judgment who we are, but also the humility to realize that God has gifted us in different ways. Sometimes that's out in front. See, sometimes we get distracted with that in churches. We go, man, I'm just over here serving. I want someone to, I, I, you know, no one notices. He notices. And this isn't about anyone else. And this is actually sacrificing in such a way that it is your worship to the one worthy. It's not about accolades. He says, man, some people prophesy, they're out in front. Some people exhort one-on-one. They share with one another. Some people have a gift to teach. Some people have a gift of mercy. Aren't you thankful for the people in your life who have a gift of mercy? Who didn't hold that against you, took their arm around and said, hey, it's gonna be okay. You haven't went too far. You haven't blown it too much. And that's a gift that maybe people wouldn't see. But see, what's happened is we, we even in the church, we, we've kind of put on a mask of false humility. And we've said humility is quiet and lowly. And yet, Jesus exhibits all of these things. And at times he's quiet and lowly and at times he's turning tables and running people out. Jesus is what the totality of the church is meant to be, but it takes all of us to reflect who he is. So we're all different. We all have uniqueness about us. Yes. Timeless, right? Legos. We have way too many Legos. We got a problem, okay? I started thinking about this um, with these types of sermons. I, uh, I've used Legos before, and one of my sermons, I just dumped them all. I'm not going to do that this time. Uh, so there's all these intricate pieces, all these, all these unique pieces. If you ever buy Legos, you know they don't ever stay like what the package looks like ever. So, so it should tell you that perfection is short-lived anyway, so why even try to attain it? Oh, that's pretty good. Amen. They end up like this. All of them. All the boxes, 
all the ideas, all the images, they all end up in a big pile. You remember the screen, right? Anyways, uh... Thanks, Terry. <laughs> I'll end up, and you go. See, I even thought, and I bet some of you are like, wouldn't it be cool if, like, he spent, like, you know, the whole night, like, building this intricate, like, master build from all these spots? I was like, that'd take a really long time, and I don't love you guys that much. But here's the reality, is you look at all this and go, man, I don't know if we could make anything out of this. See, that's the point. You can't. Only he could take a group of people who are so unique and so diverse that there's no way you could possibly imagine that different backgrounds, different races, different starting points could be broken and shambled and look like it could never make something. And then all of a sudden he begins to take and piece things together that you never thought went together. And he puts on display the radiance of the body of Christ. You are many members, unique, wonderfully made, handcrafted, individually, but never meant to be alone. Always put together as the church of Jesus Christ, a living sacrifice, holy and blameless as your reasonable act of service. See, the gifts of the church are you. The gifts to the church are you. You are the gift. And I could get up here and I go, hey, there's this type of personality and there's these different types of gifts, but most of you already know what you're good at. You're adults. Most of you already know. So then use your gift. You say, man, I don't, have, I don't have time right now. It's called a sacrifice. It's meant to cost you. You mean, I would go through with that. I don't know that they'll appreciate me. It was never about them anyways. It's an audience of one. Whether you're in the background, you're out in front, all the body together. See, in the church, we said actually the most important gifts, you can't see. But yet, isolated alone, it doesn't matter. If you weren't able to communicate, you weren't able to articulate. See, it's all the parts, out in front, underneath, behind the scenes. But don't forget what it's really about. It's a sacrifice in order that you may worship the one who's worthy, who's given you a gift called grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. And anyone who ever received a good gift responds to that good gift. And the response indicates the value of the gift. Do you believe he's valuable? Do you believe he's worthy? Do you believe he's worthy of your sacrifice, of your talents, your time, your treasure? I appeal to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what's holy and acceptable to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, 
You've bestowed on us grace that we do not deserve and could not earn. We could never tip the scales. When we serve, we're not paying the bill. We're responding to the invoice that reads paid in full. Let us respond to the good gift of grace. Because anyone who's ever received a good gift responds. So let us use our gifts. For your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, Amen. We give Jesus one more hand clap of praise.